0: Man, fuck the Miami Heat They are supposed to be the ones They were supposed to finish the story Now granted, uh, they've only just lost game four. So uh, By the time you guys are hearing this, maybe they lost game five. Maybe they won. I have no fucking clue but uh, a double sweep in the conference finals would have been kind of sick. So uh Yeah, fuck them. So, this is kind of a strange episode because normally the podcast is meant to serve as, like, the conclusion to the week and the conclusion to the review of everything, yet I've already made an episode earlier in the week about the brand new Sleep Token album, Take Me Back to Eden, and if you guys haven't heard it yet, um, I ask that you listen to it because that is the, like, biggest outpouring of emotion that I've ever displayed when covering music on here. So, um, yeah, if you got the time, please go check it out. And also check out the album if you have not yet. And even if you have listened to the album, go listen to it again. That shit is beyond fucking generational. So this may be a bit of a shorter episode, but I want it to still be something of substance because all the bands talked about today, they deserve that highlight and spotlight. So, um, yeah, this episode looks at like brand new singles by the likes of Holding Absence, Icy Stars, The World Alive, and a few others I want to get through, and then brand new albums by Jutes and The Used. Thank you so much, thank you for tapping in, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. The one scene story that I really do want to talk about, or at least make mention of, because I can't go into all the details on here, has to do with the band Cliff Diver. So, for anybody who uh, doesn't know about this yet, um, they were on tour, and um, uh, all of the extra details are on their Twitter account, so go there if you want to check it out, but... Uh, forewarning and trigger warning. It is quite graphic in its, uh, description about what happened. So uh, essentially there was a very, 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 very freak accident, uh, that occurred to the band while traveling. And as a result, uh, one of the members, Tyler is now in the hospital and there is a link on the band's Twitter for a GoFundMe page to, uh, provide assistance for his, uh, his recovery per se. It is a fucking insane story and could have been catastrophically tragic, but, um, thankfully everybody is as fine as they can be, uh, physically at least. Mentally, that's a completely separate story, but, um, yeah, if you have the means to support this band, please do so because what happened to them, you know, it's, it's fucking horrible. And it's kind of a reminder about like the, the risk that bands put themselves in by touring and traveling. So, uh, whether you're in a band or you're just a fan, please never take said risks for granted because it can easily go badly. And thankfully for them, it did not go anywhere near as badly as it could have. It was still horrible, but everybody's alive. And and given the nature of the story, that is nothing short of a miracle. All of the best wishes in the world to them. So to look into the brand new singles for the week, the first one that I want to go into detail on comes from Holding Absence, and it is False Dawn. This is a part of the album, The Notable Art of Self-Destruction, releasing on August 25th, and that is incredibly fucking exciting because I feel like Holding Absence is one of those acts where whenever there is an announcement for them, whether it be a single, a record, a tour... There is this wave of excitement because Holding Absence is genuinely, truly one of the best bands in the world, and they command that kind of attention just through sheer talent and ability alone. False Dawn, I was initially of the belief that I didn't prefer this song over A Crooked Melody, which is a lead single for the record. Having spent more time with False Dawn and hearing it over and over and over again, I don't know. I really don't know. This might be a little bit better than a crooked melody, in my opinion. Um, I think Falston it channels so much, just like raw emotion and power, the same way that every other endeavor by Holding Absence does. And it's got like this little bit of um, like anime opener energy. At least that's just something that I noticed. I don't know if that was deliberate or not. I do see Lucas on the TL interacting with Attack on Titan stuff. He just like me for real. Um, the song is catchy, it's just so powerful and hard hitting, and I think this is a track that can do a world of wonders for holding absence and especially on a new album cycle. So, one of my favorite bands of all time, one of the most important bands I've ever been exposed to, they finally have new material to their name and It's a little bit polarizing, at least from what I've been able to observe online. So that's my segue into Icy Stars and specifically the new single from them, Anomaly. There's a lot I can say about Icy Stars, and one day, I'm sure I will, I have no doubt that there will eventually be a standalone episode of this show dedicated to just Icy Stars and their back catalog and what they mean to me, no pun intended, Um, but as for right now, the focus is on Anomaly, not Drift. They had two songs last week, Anomaly and Drift. I really do love Drift, but Anomaly is the one that like I heard it and Everything about that track clicked with me instantly, and it wasn't the same for a lot of others that I could see online, on Twitter, Discord, YouTube, whatever the fuck it was. And I do want to say that as far as like any bit of criticism for this single goes, I do understand it because for people like myself and so many others who are like so, um, I guess used to a certain style by Icy Stars, a style that kind of in some way keeps like crabcore and electronic core alive. There's really nothing on Anomaly that, um, like aligned itself with much of the rest of Icy Stars' discography It's not, um, an electronic song in that sense. It doesn't have like any of these chaotic moments or breakdowns. It's a very safe play of a song. It is the kind of song that, you know, uh, they would want to tour with Bad Omens on and that's what's going to be happening later on in the year as part of the um Concrete Forever tour. And for those reasons, I-, I feel like this song does make sense for Icy Stars. Does it make sense for this to be their comeback? Probably not. But as far as just being a new song by them, I personally love Anomaly. I, I- think the chorus on here is fucking massive and it's really infectious i could not get it out of my head cannot stop singing it i think devin for as many like scaling back moments as they offer him on here just like you know he doesn't scream there's no real moment where he like raises his voice or does anything like that anything like that but he still sounds amazing in my opinion i think icy stars still sound amazing at large and i am happy with the song i'm satisfied with it And I'm just thrilled that they're back. Catch your breath. I I don't really know how extensively I've gone into detail on them before. But I'm going to do so right now. Brand new single, Savages. Savages. There is a likely chance that uh, if you are just now getting into Cactus Breath or you recently have been, it came through the single Dial Tone, and that's how I got into them. I didn't get the chance to give that song its flowers last year because I wasn't aware of it at the time, but if I could retroactively go back, Dial Tone would be an upper echelon song of the year for myself. But this isn't about Dial Tone, it's about Savages, which I think almost mirrors the kind of... um like, catchy progression, and just a straightforward, like, all-rock nature of Dial Tone in a way. Savages is just so easy to get lost in, so easy to nod your head to. Um It, it kind of has, like, this little bit of, like, a nostalgia element as far as, like, that specific era of like the mid 2000s or mid 2010s rather, where you had bands like bring me the horizon and of mice and man. And to some extent asking Alexandria, like really trying to go for that, like hard rock style. That's what I sense with savages. And I think catch your breath do an incredible job at capturing that specific type of sound. Um, it's just a really easily flowing song. I got to see catch your breath a while back, not a while back, but a few weeks ago, that might as well be a while back in fucking real time. Um, and they're amazing. Uh great musicianship, great guys all around and I'm very happy that they're able to achieve the success that they have so far considering that off a song like Savages, I think they really do deserve it. So there's a lot of excitement right now in the camp of The Wonder Years and their fan base and one area of such excitement comes from the new song of theirs Goddamn It All. It's not really a new song per se, it is a B-side off of The Greatest Generation, which turns 10 this year, and you guys can expect a 10-year tour for that record coming up some point this year. Um, again, a lot of excitement for this act right now, and I think it's for good reason, because I think The Wonder Years, and especially on a record like The Greatest Generation, they really did like cement this spot for themselves in terms of being one of the top-tier acts for pop punk and specifically melancholic pop punk over the last decade um god damn it all had this been on the great generation i honestly do think this would have been my favorite song off of that i think this track is very uh just like heartfelt and it has that raw aggression that raw nature of the wonder years that has been able to do um no pun intended, said wonders for them that I mentioned already. Um, I I just love the song a lot. And I, I think right now is this immaculate time in history to be a fan of the wonder years, because it feels like anything that somebody could want from them, you're going to be getting this year. You're getting great songs like this. You're going to get the greatest generation tour. You're getting this band operating at the highest level that they possibly can. And that's really, really fucking sick to see. Strange Love is the name of the brand new single out right now, by The Ward Alive. There is no concrete announcement yet on the band's new album. But Strange Love does follow Nocturnal Future and New Reality as the lead singles for it. And like those two tracks, I think that Strange Love does a great job at sort of like reaffirming all the strengths within The World Alive and how sick they are consistently. And I say reaffirming because for myself, every cycle for The World Alive, I'm not surprised when there's something on there that I am blown away by and taken aback by because that... um. Like, those heights, to me, are to be expected by this point from The word Alive. Um, I also feel like, somehow, Telly is still an underrated vocalist in the sense that whenever discussions open up online about who the best front men and women in the scene are at any given time, I don't usually see his name be mentioned too much. And I think that's kind of crazy, given how fluid he is on both Cleans and Screams. And it is that fluidity that helps maintain the structure to a song like Strings Love," and the fluctuating between being so enchanting and soothing in the chorus and then uh, showcasing a bit of brutality in the breakdown. That's the kind of prowess and talent that has been able to get the word alive to where they are right now and will get them to where they're going to be following this upcoming album. So how about Paris? Because I feel like for as name-worthy as Paris are in the scene, I don't see enough people really talking about the evergreen singles, especially the new one, Love is a...
1: a a and and a a
0: And to some extent, I get it, you know, uh, there's a lot going on in the scene right now. Sleep Token, and then recently, like, Current, Something Nowhere in Vietnam. Anime. A lot about the contemporary scene is consuming so much of social media to the point where a band like Paris, who kind of has one foot in, one foot out the scene, might get cast aside and overshadowed. But to me, that is criminal. Because even though Paris have ventured into a territory that is way more pop-oriented, than alt rock or whatever you want to label their prior material as, they are still so fucking consistent and good. And time and time again showing why they have the platform that they do, why they've been able to make it to the heights that they have, why Lin is still to this day, one of the best and most powerful voices in all of music. I think when it comes to the instrumentation of Love is a it just flows so well while being so, like, calm and peaceful in some ways. Like, to me, it gives off this uh this, this feeling of, like, being in a garden and just not having, like, any of the woes of the outside world interfering with the tranquility of that moment. It's just so goddamn relaxing. And having Lynn lay her vocals over that, it, it makes for... This I- impeccable song that I think aligns itself so well with everything else off of Evergreen so far, and you know, even if this is a different Paris, it's still a fucking kick-ass Paris. The final single that I'll go into detail on for the episode is by Beauty School Dropout, and it is called "Dying to Be You." I've been killing <laughs> To the best of my knowledge, I have never really mentioned Beauty Dropout before on the show. Probably like uh, in those segments where I go like, okay, these are the rest of the singles of the week. But as far as like giving them their own proper segment, this will be the first time I'm doing that. Um, they had an EP out last year, We Made Plans and God Laughed. There's a song on there called Fight Mode that ended up being, if this makes any sense, my favorite song from last year that I didn't know about last year. And that enabled me to, like, you know, keep a finger on the pulse of musical dropout and everything that they're doing. Dying to Be You became one of those tracks where it's just so undeniable in its delivery and effectiveness. There is almost like a raw factor to the production of it where it sounds like kind of like 90s grunge in some ways, but modernized, if that's even a thing that can be properly conveyed to you guys. And mixing that in with like the uh, the raspiness and the worn down effect vocally, I think "Dying to Be You" ended up being one of the standouts from last week, one of the gems. And "Beauty School Dropout" just overall is an act where I don't know how many people are paying attention to them right now, but whatever it is, it's not enough. And the eyes and the ears of the entire scene should be honing in on "Beauty School Dropout." These are the remaining singles from last week that I gave either a four or a five to in the social media reviews. Our funeral by Always Never, Burn with the Sun by As Within So Without, House of Cards by Aviva, True Color by Comgrove, Must Be Nice, metaphorically speaking, by Can't Swim, Taste Maker by Classic Jack, Dancing Dead by Dark Divine, Woody by Dizzy Spells, Colorblind by Endeavor, Rivers by First and Forever, Don't Talk About Love by Gucci Highwaters. Chunker by Hell the Sun. Drift by Icy Stars. Mind Own by In Dying Arms featuring Frankie Balmary from Emure. You Needed a Hit by Kenny Hoopla. Super Hate by King Cold. You're on the List Minus One by Koyo. Disappear by Led by Lanterns. In the Shadow of Your Former Self by Love is Noise. Thanking God by No Oceans and Kyle Soze. I hope I'm saying that correctly. L.A. Fucked You Up by Riley featuring Platinum. Wish I Could Forget by Slander featuring Black Bear and Ollie Sykes and Bring Me the Horizon. And Nosebleed by Sophie Powers featuring Yua. So there was no single that got below a four, so uh, yeah, that's pretty sick actually. I-, I did enjoy this week for singles substantially, so uh, yeah, good shit everybody. And also, shout out to Compunction, he will be doing a acoustic performance of his EP Phase 1 this Friday. Uh, good dude, good EP, and I hope the vibes are just as good for the show. So now I'm going to go ahead and get into the albums of the week, although there were only two for the episode because I did burn through Sleep Token earlier in the week. So what we have here is a really sick combination of two artists that are pretty different in their sonic tones, but in terms of impact on my life and my overall taste in music, these two artists have done a lot for me. So, the first one up is the brand new Jutes album called Ladybug. So, I guess as far as like a background on Jutes goes, my adoration for his music would have come... Around the early stage of the pandemic, and at that time, there was like almost like an influx of bands or artists, rather, within those like hip hop slash pop punk genre lines that I was exposed to all at once. So there's like Jute's, Codis, Smart Death, um uh, kind of low Aaron, but also not really. But let's go with that still. Yet, out of everybody that was a part of said wave, Jutes was the one that stood out to me the most. Jutes was the one who had developed this level of consistency that I thought very few artists and even bands, for that matter, could touch. And to me, the biggest evidence of that would have been around this time, two years ago, when every week, Jutes was putting out a new single, and the quality never once diminished within said quantity everything he did whether it was for you delete my number careful you wish for fuck your boyfriend it was always just fucking excellent and top-notch and i don't know how brody didn't burn himself out but even in that duration in that tenure of him putting out singles every week he delivered big time every single fucking instance And I think the coolest thing about that strand of singles is that every song kind of uh, differentiated from each other in some way, artistically and stylistically. Like, there were some songs there that, you know, very much did lie within, like, a pop punk area, but then some dealt with more pop stuff, and then some kind of had a hip-hop flair to them. It was like, Jutes could take whatever sound it was he was really trying to go for and just achieve at the highest level with it. And... He's really been able to keep up that, um, that quality since then. He had a EP last year, Hot Trash, just barely, barely missed my top 50 for the records of that year. But Hot Trash was truly excellent. And I think it was the kind of showcase for pop punk mixed with hip hop stuff that, you know, we've seen some people like, you know, the obvious one being MGK. But then even Blackbear on In Loving Memory, like he Jutes, I mean, has kind of been able to break the mold in some ways. So then that brings us into what would end up being the cycle for Ladybug. And having been able to intake the material pretty regularly since the beginning of the year, there was early hints of this album, Finding Home, in like a little bit more of an aggressive tone for Jutes. And not aggressive in like it's heavy, but just something that steers away from some of the upbeat nature to what he was doing prior. And for me, it was the lead single, Fingers, that really let me know that Fingers is still one of my favorite songs so far this year. I think Fingers takes the overall core sound of Ladybug and really puts it on a a pedestal, really lets everybody see that this is who Jutes is now and he just found a a fucking perfect uh, area of his element with fingers. There were two more singles thereafter, Punkstar featuring Royal and the Serpent and then Quitter. I really do enjoy Punkstar, but I will acknowledge that getting it within the context of all of Ladybug It did kind of diminish it a little bit for myself, whereas Quitter, if anything, I like more coming out of the album than I did as a single. I think Quitter has one of the best courses on the whole record. It is just so explosive and really fun and catchy. And I think those three uh, characteristics, explosive, fun, and catchy, generally do apply to so much of what is going on here on Ladybug. Like the intro song, Send My Love... I think that track it does a great job at kind of pacing itself well and building up to its first explosive chorus that really lets Jute's shine in this new endeavor of his per se. And Ladybug, this how track, I think does a lot of the same. And it was at that point where something that kind of hit me about like I don't want to say like an influence on the album, but an influence at least on um, the kind of comparisons I can draw to the record Ocean Grove really, really came to mind hearing Ladybug. And yeah, there's like, you know, smells like teen spirit shit going on here. But really, I I think this song does give Jutes the ability to come into his own in this style of pop punk mixed with grunge and whatever else you want to call it. And there are more songs that really do give off that same flavor, like Muscle Memory and Raw Dog, just continuing to build up Jutes as... This potential pop-punk and grunge powerhouse. Yet, in that same breath, there are some songs here that, while I would say they're good for the most part, they do what a song like Fingers is meant to do, and not as well, in my opinion. Um, do It To Myself and Static. Those were the two that jumped out to me as like, you're good and I have no issue with you, really, but you're just not at the same level as, you know, the title track or fingers, like I said. Um, I think do it to myself. My issue with it is just that the chorus, it doesn't capture that same kind of, uh, like uprooting energy that could command a live reaction the same way that, uh, you know, fingers did or quitter and then static, which comes later on in the track listing. It kind of. I don't want to say it tries to be slower, but it definitely feels like it's meant to be a slower-paced song while packing the same energy and aggression. And to me, that kind of style, it just doesn't really work, or at least it doesn't work in the same way as most of the other songs here. But I don't want those points of mine to overtake what it is that I really feel about this album, which is that... It does a great job at pushing Jutes' sound forward in this new direction. Um, Ultimately, I don't think I prefer it over Careful What You Wish For, which was like a singles compilation record he did two years ago. And that's just because Jutes taking on, you know, hip-hop and pop, that resonates with me a little bit more than him doing that for pop, punk, and grunge. But that being said, Ladybug, to me, is still a successful album. There are still songs here like Fingers and Quitter and title track that will remain with me and I'm going to bump fucking constantly on a weekly basis and I think just in terms of the consistency that I spoke of earlier about Jutes Man's still got it. Man's is still him in so many areas. And for the other album we have Toxic Positivity by The Used. You cannot talk about the history of Emo without giving the youth their flowers. Just for myself, and and not specifically Emo in this instance, but just the scene altogether. If hypothetically somebody were to ask me to give my Mount Rushmore for scene music in the early to mid-2000s, it's going to go something like Linkin Park, Deftones, 18 Visions, and The use The U's are one of the most important bands that The Scene will ever be graced with. So much of what The Scene is rooted in nowadays, you can trace back to The U's, and that's not a recent thing. You've actually been able to do that for a minute now. Like those first two albums, Self-Titled and In Love and Death, there is a reason why so many people have this great sense of nostalgia for them, there are reasons why, you know, at fucking emo night or whatever, when The Taste of Ink and I Caught Fire came on, crowds lose their shit. Because those songs are generational. Those records are generational. So much of what people perceive as emo is because of those two albums. Um, I- I've never really spoken about this, but, um, I, I probably have, but not in extensive detail. Um, There is a tattoo that I have on my left hand, and it is a tree with a heart hanging from one of its branches. There are four albums that inspired that artwork specifically, and one of them is In Love and Death. I think In Love and Death, whenever the idea of just like really dark brooding emo music that has this upbeat catchy nature to some of what it's doing, whenever I think of that kind of a a style for an album... In love and death is what comes to mind. I think the used from an early age for myself really cemented themselves as a band that would forever and always inadvertently shape what I love about emo music. And I'm saying all that as if those are my two favorite records by them. They're not. It's artwork and vulnerable. I think artwork is one of the just like coolest bits of brooding music I've ever heard in my life. And then vulnerable, okay. I've done this before in conversations with people where I say Vulnerable is my favorite used album or one of my favorites, and it's just, like, met with silence or some um variation of what the fuck you talking about, Lil Bro. I don't know, man. Like, I understand that in the grand scheme of things, Vulnerable probably ain't shit. These songs probably suck. But... They were so pivotal at that time over a decade ago for me, and the effect of Vulnerable has been able to remain with me. My favorite used song ever is a fucking Vulnerable reissue song called Surrender. Like, I-, I don't know what it is about Vulnerable, but it really speaks to me, and that was the last time that the used really managed to do that. The album after Vulnerable, it was Imaginary Enemy, and that album, okay, the lead single for it was Cry. I think Cry is one of the best songs ever made by the Use, And then the opener for that album, Revolution, is also really fucking magnificent. And then just, you get into the rest of Imaginary Enemy, and it's just like, the fuck am I doing? Like, wh- what is any of this? And it's not bad, but it's so antithetical to what it is that I think of when I think of the Use. The Canyon is more different, but still somehow better for me. Um, I have a lot of really good memories listening to you over and over again back when that was, uh, released as the lead single for the album. And then Heartwork. Uh, okay. So Heartwork, I didn't really get the chance to thoroughly enjoy or become immersed in because it was a pandemic album. And at that specific time, early into the spring of 2020, I couldn't be bothered with life, or, or, let alone fucking scene music. So toxic positivity provided the first real chance for myself to waffle about the use the way that I just did, and I do wish that I could start the actual discourse about toxic positivity in a better manner. But the rollout for this record is one of the strangest things that I've seen so far this year because the two songs that released early on that were kind of used to promote the album "Fuck You" and "People Are Vomit." they're not even here. And to me, that is criminal because I think those two songs are really, really, really good. And not that there isn't anything else here that's really, really good, because there is, but having those two singles properly be the introduction for this cycle, that would have done some fucking wonders for this album. So because of that, that left Numb as the only song... That really gave people uh, a glimpse into Toxic Positivity that ended up making it onto the album. And I don't think that's a bad thing because Numb is one of my favorites on the album. I think Numb mixing the piano elements with the chorus that really lets the used shine in a big way. I thought it, it all combined to make this song really notable and valuable. Um and one of my favorite bits of the song, um, after the first chorus, you can hear what sounds like a female voice repeating the line. I feel, I don't believe that's Bert, but, you know, maybe it is. Uh, if that is a female feature, she's not credited here, so um, if anybody could let me know who that is, uh, that'd be great. I think my favorite incarnation of the U's nowadays is when they take verses And give them this flair as if they were like the scores for theatrical plays in a way. And use those to lead into courses that feel so massive. And there are definitely songs here that achieve that. Like Worst I've Ever Been and Pinky Swear. Just really easy for me to get lost in. And really easy for me to once again find comfort in what the youths are doing. But I've I realized now that there's definitely room for error in that, um, stylistic approach because on songs like Headspace and Dancing with a Brick Wall, I can sense the ideas are there and they easily could have worked, but for whatever reason, I don't think they do. And again, at least not to the level that they did on the aforementioned songs like Worst I've Ever Been and Pinky Swear. Um... It just misses the mark a little bit, but that was enough to kind of hinder those songs and make me believe that the used did not necessarily operate at the highest and necessary level for those songs. And then even when they do take a little bit of chances, like House of Sand, which is more of an acoustic-based song than anything else, to to me, it's just... God, okay... I don't really know how to explain it because I know that the used can achieve greatness with this kind of a sound. But on House of Sand, it just kind of falls a little bit flat when compared to the bigger moments on this album that really did work for myself. And then maybe another reason why I'm being hard on that song specifically is because when I listen to a song like Cherry... I feel like that track does a better job at showcasing the acoustic side to the use while continuing to build to this really, um, like, massive chorus. And to me, the choruses are really the shining areas of Toxic Positivity. Like, there are so many moments here, chorus-wise, where I feel like, you know, if this were a new band, I would be just, like, easily able to immerse myself in what they're doing and be like god damn man i'm really excited for their future but for the used it doesn't really um it doesn't really make me excited for the future it just makes me think like okay they they can do a good job still at making quality music but in the grand scheme of things What is the likelihood that I'm going to want to listen to Toxic Positivity over In Love and Death or Vulnerable Artwork? And even Lies for the Liars, like, there is none. It's a non-existent thought in my brain, and maybe it's not fair to use that as a reasoning for why I'm not super high on the album right now. But, again, considering that the used might be like a Mount Rushmore band for myself, I don't really have any different lenses to look at this album through. Um, I think it's good for what it is. I think it's worth a listen for anybody, whether you're a veteran fan of The Used or somebody more casual. But just for myself and my own tastes and interests within this band, Toxic Positivity it does not leave a lasting impression on me. And that does suck, but it's not the end of the world for the used, considering who they are and what their back catalog means to the entire scene. And that's it. That was every album and single for the week for me to review and yeah, this is a week that I'm going to remember for a really long time, and not just because of sleep token, but generally a lot of what I heard this week, whether it's Holding Absence or uh, Catch Your Breath, Icy Stars, whoever the fuck, this week really helped show me that there will be a lot come December for me to fondly look back on. And we're just still barely in fucking May, guys, so Um big things are coming, and this is a... Very important and exciting time for the scene. Thank you for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And as always, for the love of the game, let's make a scene.